Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good whatever time it is, wherever you are, whenever you are. I am Malcolm Hawker. I am the host of the CDO Matters podcast. I'm also the head of data strategy at Prophecy Software, thought leader on LinkedIn, creator of a lot of content focused on you, the chief data officer, and people who want to be you. VPs of data and analytics, managers of data and analytics, data stewards, data governors, data quality people, you name it. If it's data, we're going to be talking about it here on the CDO Matters podcast. I'm thrilled that you are joining me today. Um, As I talk, it is the middle of December. And when you see this, it will be towards the end of December 2023. So For our friends that celebrated, I hope you had a Merry Christmas. For others, I hope you were having a wonderful holiday season. I hope you're having a wonderful end of the year. I'm looking forward to 2024. But while it is still 2023, we're going to kind of do a little bit of an end of the year roundup here. I I like these things. Um, Whether it's a list or whether it's, uh, you know, your top whatever. Uh, I was looking at my top plays from my Apple uh, playlist this year. No big surprise. I mean, I, c- I could have guessed them anyway, but I, I don't know. There- there's something cathartic um, a- about retrospectives, right? And-, and to be able to kind of look back. Maybe it's a time to celebrate. Maybe it's a time to mourn. Maybe it's a, a time to learn. I, I don't know, but I, if you're anything like me, I, I like the retrospective stuff. I think it's I think it's fun, and I, I think it's a good use of time. So that's what we're going to do today on the CDO Matters podcast. We're going to talk about the things that I saw the most in 2023, some of the key themes, as it were, for data and analytics leaders throughout the year. Um, a few kind of housekeeping items. Uh, I suspect you will be listening to this in the last week of December. Uh, by which point I would have already have had a live event with Eric Zweifel, the CDAO of Microsoft. Uh, and we are going to post that episode two weeks after this one. So January 4th, I believe. Um, maybe I can't quite track time. Early January. <laughs> Look in early January. The first episode of 2024, the CDO Matters podcast, will be a live conversation. Of course, you'll be watching it or listening to it as a recorded conversation if you don't attend the live event on LinkedIn on December 15th, which is in the past for you now. Um, but if you didn't attend that live event, uh, you'll have a chance to listen to my conversation with Eric um, that we are recording literally tomorrow because today is Thursday and tomorrow is Friday, which we're, we're going we're gonna to do it. Uh, Eric is just an awesome guy. I, I've, I've got a chance to know him a little bit and get to know him a little bit over the year. Uh, had a wonderful conversation with him over dinner in Boston, I think. I, I don't know. All the cities are melting together. That sounds horrible, but it's true. 
uh, just just a just a super super smart guy, a really nice guy, somebody I enjoy talking to. I hope that comes through tomorrow in our recording when we're talking about the state of the data nation. And of course, he's a CDO for Microsoft. We're going to talk about OpenAI. We're going to talk about AI. We're going to talk about the Microsoft Fabric. We're going to talk about other things front of mind to CDOs. We're going to talk about what's going on at Microsoft. Uh, I think Microsoft is head and shoulders ahead of the cloud. Let's just call them the cloud hyperscalers uh, when it comes to uh, data management, data infrastructure, and creating what would otherwise be called a modern data ecosystem. I think I think Microsoft is leading the pack, and I'm really looking forward to my chat with Eric tomorrow. And I hope that you can catch that uh, when it comes out as a recorded version of CDO Matters, because I think it would be well worth the uh, the hour to listen to it. Um, so I think that's the only housekeeping item for, for today. Please look forward to that. Let's talk about 2023, shall we? Wow, what are some of the key themes? One, um, when I look back in the year, I think the year really, really started with the, the one word that still sticks in my brain, because it was sticking in my brain in January of 2023, and it's still there now, was uncertainty. And we started the year with a lot of uncertainty. You know, we were coming off of the kind of the reopening of the economies after, after COVID and things were going reasonably well. Uh, but China was still kind of mired or China was still stuck, you know, shut down. Uh, there were still at the time supply chain disruptions and shortages. There was still a lot of uncertainty of what that would mean for, for kind of GDPs with nations around the world, for consumer demand around the world. There were some kind of dark signs on the horizon with the beginning of discussions around interest rate hikes uh, and on and on. And we started the year with a lot of uncertainty. And there were a lot of people talking at the beginning of the year about um, the recession. That was a, a word that was being batted around a lot at the beginning of the year. And there were a lot of people who had fairly gloomy outlooks of 2023. I can say that at least from my perspective of my experiences here in the United States, in Canada, and uh, to a lesser degree, I, th I, I, I want to say Europe was was arguably hit a little harder, just a little. Uh, but for the most part, it wasn't as much of an economic meltdown as a lot of people thought. Yes, people you know, are losing their jobs. You know, the news, recent news is a lot of people being laid off from Spotify. And, and I personally know many people who were negatively affected this year by downsizes. In, in kind of in, in the, the corporate world, but at the same time, it wasn't nearly as bad. I mean, I was around folks for 2008. Um, I was around for, for recessions in the mid 90s. Um, I have been laid off more than once. Um, it's a growth opportunity. And the time I look back and it was like, wow, I learned a ton from that. I learned a ton about how to manage my career. I learned a ton about how to pick the right job. I learned a ton about how to pick the right leader. Uh, but at the time, it's absolutely no fun at all. Uh, it's 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 a horrible experience. It uh, causes an awful lot of self doubt, um, not to mention a lot of stress, particularly if you have a family, particularly if you're mid to late career like I am. Um, late, getting laid off is just it, there's it just sucks, um, and it's easy to look back and say, oh well, it's a good growth experience, and you know, beyond every closed door, there's a new open door, and yada yada yada. Um, but the story here is is that at a at a at a macro level. I think we can say that it wasn't the news wasn't nearly as bad as we thought it was going to be. Of course, for those of you who may be in Israel or who may be in the Ukraine or maybe in other war-torn areas of the world, uh, the, the, the news is not rosy. 
Um, and, and it breaks my heart that these things are actually happening in our world today. I, I really wish we would have evolved beyond that. But, um, you know, I, I mentioned this in the last episode. I really wish that we had more peace in the world. But I think at a high level, insofar as there is suffering around the world, insofar there is war, from an economic perspective, I think the year was not nearly as bad as we thought it was going to be. Um, particularly when it comes to corporate America, corporate demand, uh, people needing the services of data, people like you and I. Uh, the services are needed, right? And they remain in demand. And whether you are providing software or whether you are a data professional, maybe you're a consultant or an analyst, 2023, I suspect, was generally a pretty decent year for you, not a horrible year. And for that, I think we can all be thankful. Um, number two, number two, the return of the live conference, the in-person conference. This started, of course, in 2022. Uh, uh, we started going to, to conferences again towards the summer of 2022, <laughs> the first one I went to. Um, in, uh, in July of 2022, I caught COVID. Uh, as did a lot of people that I knew as well, uh, through no fault, of course, of the uh, of the conference, um, you know, coordinators. Um, but but 2022 is still a little tenuous. 2022, there were a lot of people who were still staying home for for very obvious reasons. Uh, but 2023, I'll tell you, man, woo wee! Um, and I've got the proof. To, I've got the proof here. I'm gonna. This is my Mr. T moment. There we go. Um, th this is this is my proof. That this is and by the way, this is just a sample. This isn't all of them. And if and if you're if you're listening to this and you're not actually watching the video on YouTube of me making a fool of myself, uh, I just put all of the lanyards, uh, pa conference passes of, of a sample of events that I went to this year around my neck, and I kind of look like a a data Mister T um, instead of gold necklaces that. Well, I bet many people don't even know who Mr. T is. I Google it. Uh, the A team, Mr. T. He used to wear a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, jewelry around his neck, but my jewelry is uh, passes, as you can see. Some of them have some bling. Well, most of them probably do. Uh, speaker and and whatnot. Anyway, yeah, the the live conference returned. I'm taking off my all of my <laughs> passes. Next time I call somebody a data hoarder and you hear it, yeah, you need to tell me, hey, dude, uh, you're hoarding uh, your conference passes. That was fun. I need to put those back on for a photo. I think that's kind of silly and also kind of fun. And yes, those of you who are environmentally sensitive uh, and more aware of these things would be right to ask, hey, why don't you just get one lanyard and take it from conference to conference? That's what I should do. This is what my friend Juan Zakeda at data.world does. He goes to even more conferences than I do, and he has just one lanyard. I guess he's more environmentally sensitive than, than I am. Anyway, conferences returned and they returned in a big way. Um, for this, I'm really grateful. You know, I, I think that conferences are a wonderful opportunity to learn. Conferences are a wonderful opportunity to interact with our peers. Conferences are a wonderful opportunity to just get away from your day-to-day -day environment. Like just breaking out of your bubble. Maybe that's who you work at home. Maybe you work in an office, doesn't matter. But getting out of your those surroundings and going to different surroundings is an opportunity for you to just think differently. It's it's an opportunity to to not be bound, I think, by a lot of the constraints that go into a nine to five job. And that's one of the things that I love the most about conferences is that it gives me the space to think. And for somebody who does what I do, 
right? We create content, share best practices, share insight, talk to people. Everything I know is a function of what I've learned from others. So for the opportunity to go and talk to people uh, is, is unbelievably invaluable. It's invaluable to me, but it would be invaluable to you too if you were going to conferences. So I recommend them wholeheartedly. That said, um, I do think the conference is, I don't want to say they're ripe for disruption. I would just invite conference organizers to take a fresh look at your content. I think we really, really, really need to revisit um, some of our content because I, I think a lot of it is getting a little old and tired. Now, that said, I can say, and this is an amazing thing, um, and maybe this is a function of, of, the, of, of, of a good job that the conference organizers are doing, um, for many of the conferences that I've been to this year, uh, a good 50% of them were first timers, which is, I think, in total, a really, really good thing. You know, that uh, you, you could kind of neg look at it negatively and say, oh, wow, we're really turning over. And maybe that's a bad thing. Or maybe it's a good thing. I think having more and more people in our space is generally a good thing. I know for a fact that um, a lot of the new people who were coming were not taking jobs of old people. These are new people who are coming because companies are investing in data and analytics. Companies are doubling down or investing in data quality and MDM and data, data integration. Because I heard that at these conferences over and over and over again. I was blown away by how many times I heard we are beginning our journey on duh, duh, duh. We're beginning our journey with MDM. We're beginning our journey with data governance. I heard that often, right? So this is a really good thing. And again, going back to point one about growth in 2023, the fact that the conference circuit is alive and well, the fact that we've got a lot of new people coming into these conferences, the fact that we still have companies who in the year 2023 are starting their kind of data and analytics journey, their, at least their data management journey, data governance, MDM, data quality. The fact that we have companies that are just now investing in these things and standing up, data and analytics organizations, awesome stuff. Really, really good stuff. We are growing as an industry. The CDO role is growing. Man, I was like, particularly in the government space, holy cow. Um, went to the CDO IQ conference in, uh, in July in Boston. And one out of every three people I would say that came up and, and introduced themselves or that I had a, con a conversation with because we had a booth there and I was working the booth, shaking hands, as I do. Um, one in every three was, yeah, I'm a CDO for insert federal, state, county, or city government. I heard it over and over again. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, one of the things that I found interesting from that, though, is that is that often you were talking to people who were clearly more mid-career, right? Typically, you would expect a CDO to be late career, later career. And for a lot of these folks, sorry, folks, I'm sniffling um, usual, usual seasonal allergy stuff. Um, two weeks ago, I was getting over a cold. Now it's allergy. So it's a frying pan fire. Uh, a lot of these CDOs are mid-career. And that's a wonderful thing, uh, but it also means that uh, often, you know, uh, I, I would say that there may be a relative shortage 
for lack of a better word, of some of the real world experience that you know CDOs may otherwise need for success. This is an opportunity for consultants. It's an opportunity for people who like me, who, who share best practices and who are devoted to helping CDOs succeed in their role. So um, it's, just a, it's just a good thing. Conferences are back. Our space is growing. There are positive signs in the horizon. Can't talk about 2023 without talking about artificial intelligence. Boy, this is, this is, of course, is the number one topic, by the way. I mean, it's like miles ahead, all the rest of them. It's, it's the number one topic, without a doubt. I've seen such an interesting arc in a really short time, whether we're talking about the arc of the technology itself or whether we're talking about the arc of just kind of general awareness of AI within the data and analytics space. Let's talk about the arc of the technology. Well, yes, we still are mostly talking about generative AI and large language models. I think that makes sense. There are a lot of companies that have been doing AI for a while. Depending on who you ask, it is about 50% of companies have some form of data science function. That function can be formalized in a data analytics team, or it could live ad hoc, more ad hoc, for lack of a better word, within specific business functions. You could have a data scientist living in a marketing function, for example, working on propensity models, that kind of thing. But give or take about 50% 50 of companies have some form of data science role in them. For those companies, I, th I think they kind of had a little bit of a head start. Um, but when talking about kind of this arc of the technology, um, data science has always been there. People have been doing it a long time. They've been building models a long time. This has been known, and it was really LLMs that kind of stole the show and continue to steal the show and are really groundbreaking for a lot of different reasons. I'm not going to go into why LLMs are transformational by nature. Uh, I think that kind of the proof is in the pudding, right? <laughs> this isn't just another shiny object, right? This isn't another Hadoop. Uh, how do we know? Well, because teenagers are using ChatGPT to do their homework. Uh, there are real use cases here. I mean, the, the, list, the list is very, very long. I won't go into that. But what I've seen, you know, in, in a year, we saw ChatGPT uh, 3 was, was released in November 2022. And in a year now, I think we're on to version 4, version 4 Turbo. Uh, and a whole bunch of other LLMs have come along, right? There's been, there's Bard, uh, there's Llama uh, from Facebook, which is open source. Uh, X, Twitter just came out with one called Grok. Uh, Google has upgraded. Well, they didn't upgrade Bard. It's still out there. But now Google has their, their DeepMind product, which, which is multimodal, that is text and video. And it, I mean, it just looks unbelievable. So there's more and more to choose from out there. And more companies are racing into the space. The arc of kind of knowledge within the data analytics space, we started, I would argue, incredibly flat-footed. Because I was having a lot of conversations at the beginning of the year with CDOs who were saying, well, okay, yep, there's this thing, there's these LLMs, and that's great, but we're not ready because I can't use my data to train a model. And what I would say to that is, well, you're not going to train a model. Uh, the, 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 the P in GPT, Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, uh, the P stands for pre-trained. So if you're using a commercial off-the-shelf for-profit LLM, like a chat GPT, um, then you're not going to be training it. It's trained. It's out of, it comes trained out of the box, right? And these training processes are insanely resource-intensive and uh, cost-intensive. 
right? So as a simple comparison, a GPT-4 has 700 billion parameters. Llama has 70 billion parameters. And to create Llama required 6,000 GPUs, graphical processing units, 6,000 GPUs to be running nonstop for 12 weeks using the entire internet as it's fact-based. And, and by the way, using a whole bunch of text data, not using any rows and columns to do it. So at the beginning of the year, I was hearing CEOs say, we're not ready, my data's a mess, my data's, there's so much garbage in my data and I can't use it to train any LLMs. And I was hearing this over and over and over again. And I was saying, hey, don't worry about it because you're not gonna be training LLMs in the short term. Nobody will. Uh, and chances are you never ever will need to because by in a matter of months, LLMs are gonna be largely commoditized. And, 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 and I think we've seen this, right? LLMs are now competing on accuracy. They're not competing on how much more of the internet can I go grab and index. They're not indexing, but you get my point. Nobody's competing on, well, can I find more data than the internet <laughs> yet? Um, so I would argue the LLMs have become largely commodity and now they're just competing mostly on accuracy in terms of things like how they score uh, fr from a computational perspective, from a mathematical perspective, how accurate they are in their responses and on and on. So. You're not going to be training an LLM unless you live in the business of, of, of selling AI solutions. You're not going to be training an LLM. What you're probably going to be doing with LLMs, which is probably true for 95% of companies, is finding ways to extract value from them, right? What you're probably going to be doing is finding ways to get an LLM to give you more accurate, predictable, consistent results. There are ways to do this. Yes, complex prompt engineering today is the way to do it. And I've been making a lot of posts through the year about this thing called the RAG pattern, retrieval, retrieval augmented generation, where in essence, what you do is you pass a known fact set into an LLM. If you say, if these things are true, then summarize this for me, then make conclusions based on this, do some math based on this. And that's one way that you can most certainly reduce what we call hallucinations. Um, so the arc of the technology here, we've gone, we've gone from and the arc of the kind of the, the, the knowledge of, of CDOs in the space has gone from, okay, I really don't know how this stuff works. Um, I, I think I'm going to be trading LLMs, even though I'm probably not, uh, to now we're like, oh, okay, I get it. We're, I, I think we're probably going to have to find ways to utilize these, these systems. And now where we are towards the end of the year is that I think that most people are starting to rightfully see that how they will be interacting with AI is through chatbots and through agents, where these agents are the ones, and I will just loosely use the word agent. You could call it an application, actually. Probably a better way to look at it. If you look at LLMs as an operating system and agents or software on top of the operating system, I think that's a more maybe a more useful metaphor here. I think what we'll be seeing is that people will be interacting with LLMs through these agents. The agents will kind of bundle up prompts and GPT-4, by the way, can accept 300 pages of text in a prompt. Now, there's a lot of tokens there, and that'll be expensive. So, so warning, don't, don't go encourage everybody in your company to go submit 300-page prompts multiple times a day because the meter's running. That'll be expensive. Um, but you can, right? So, so I think what you're going to be seeing is, is more and more apps, for lack of a better word, where smart agent technology is used to give you a response that is highly accurate, highly consistent, and highly predictable. And where those agents are really probably kind of tuned towards specific use cases. 
So that's where things are going from an AI perspective. We've gone from a little bit of the Wild West, don't know how this stuff works, to, okay, maybe LLMs are how, how most AI is going to be operationalized at scale, which I believe to be true, by the way, in the short term. For most companies, AI will be operationalized at scale through these LLMs and through these smart agents. And in that world of smart agents, where you were basically passing data to an LLM, right? Maybe you're looking at a Power BI report and you're asking an LLM to summarize it. Maybe you're looking at some other data that came from a SQL database and you want to draw some conclusions from it. Maybe you, maybe you need to help doing some analysis. This is another thing that's happened a lot with AI here is that now all of a sudden we have data, citizen data analysts, like where in the past that you had to hire somebody to do the analysis. Now you can have the LLMs to do it for you. But in this world of using smart agents to do this, what you pass through the smart agent, what you assume to be true or what you tell them to assume to be true is highly, highly relevant to the quality of what you get back. So we started the world with, we started the year with this mindset among CDOs that, oh, garbage in, garbage out. But it was through the lens of training things. And I was, the, I was saying, hey, 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 garbage in, garbage out here is not nearly as relevant when you're talking about training LLMs because you're training off the entire internet. The internet is not known as a bastion of high quality data. So when you're talking about training LLMs, garbage in, garbage out, I would argue it's less relevant than it's ever been. However, in a world where, in a world where smart agents are taking data that you give them, taking facts that you give them and drawing conclusions on those facts, garbage in, garbage out matters. And I hate the phrase garbage in, garbage out, by the way. It'll be another topic we talk about here shortly. But the quality of what you're passing that agent, what you were telling the agent is true, is factual, is highly relevant to the quality of the output. So yes, it does matter that we need to get our data houses in order. However, however, I would urge CDOs to avoid the temptation of saying, hey, we can't get any value from AI until we get our, our data house in order. What I would urge is CDOs need to find use cases that you can leverage now using existing technology, right? There are most certainly going to be some use cases in your organization that could benefit through the automation of some sort of natural language experience, whether that is maybe some sort of customer service chatbot, right? Maybe there are other potential use cases here where you could leverage this technology where sensitivity to data accuracy is less material than it would be for other use cases. So this is point number three of the year 2023 in review. What I saw in this year as a part of this kind of this bumpy road of AI that we're on was a lot of CDOs react with fear and, and rightful. I, I mean, I get it. But a lot of them react with fear and basically say, stop. Stop. We got to get everything in order. We, we, need, we need to slow down. Let's not jump off the cliff on this AI thing just yet. Let's just stop and let's slow down. And as recently as last week, when I was at a conference holding a roundtable of about 25 data and analytics professionals, I asked the question of how many have kind of like outright banned LLMs within their organization. And there were a number of hands that went up still, right? And I get it. I get it. I'm not saying that's bad and I'm not judging. 
I am saying, however, that boards of directors are expecting movement here. Company senior executives, C-levels in the CEO, the COO, others, particularly boards, are expecting your company to have a story around AI. And if you're the CEO or in a CDO type role, VP of data and analytics, however you title it, if you're in that role and you're the one saying, no, we can't because we're not ready or we don't have our data house in order, I would say that that re represents a risk to you as a CDO, particularly given that that was the same thing that people were saying two to three years ago when a lot of those very same boards of directors were asking for digital transformation and digital transformation in a hurry, right? 2020, when everything went sideways, a lot of boards of directors were saying, hey, we need to find a way to respond to these disruptions quickly. We need to respond to global supply chain disruptions quickly. We need to respond to changing consumer behavior quickly. Hey, data people, can you help? Nope, sorry, I can't. Our data house is not in order. Give me a couple of years to figure it out, which is what a lot of CDOs were saying in 2020, which is a lot of CDOs are saying now in response to a desire to go quickly on AI. I would urge CDOs to avoid that temptation, find ways to deliver value now, even if your data house is not in the order that you wish it to be. Find ways to deliver value now, because if you are that CDO, I would say that that represents a risk to you. So that's artificial intelligence. That's kind of <laughs> some of the things I've been hearing around CDOs and AI readiness. Yes, AI readiness will be a, is a topic this year, and it will continue to be a big topic next year. I know this to be absolutely true, but it doesn't mean you need perfection. You need to be AI ready, and there are things that you can do to enable that. The best thing I think that you can do to enable, become more AI ready, is learn by doing. Go find some use cases where these LLMs can be helpful. Find ways to not ban LLMs within your organization. Find ways to leverage them within desktop applications, like maybe like Outlook or, or within Power BI or others, where some of your vendors are happy to help enable these capabilities because they can charge you more money. Find ways to leverage these, these technologies now to deliver value now so you have a story to tell while you figure out all of the bigger picture things, like while you figure out governance and AI governance and ethics and all of those big picture things that will take some time. Find ways to value, to find ways to deliver value using AI now. Number four or five, I've lost my track because I can tend to ramble. As any of you who have been tuning into me for a while now know it's part of my charm. I hope. I hope. Um, number four or five, let's go with five. I like five. Uh, the complete evaporation of the data mesh. Wow. My goodness. 2022, you, you, you couldn't go to any conference. You couldn't log into LinkedIn. You couldn't, you couldn't have a conversation with a lot of people without the data mesh coming up as an item, as an issue. I was still. Uh, at Gartner in early 2022, and it was mesh, 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 mesh. That sounds a little silly, mesh, mesh, mesh. Um, but true, <laughs> it was it was right at the top of Gartner's hype cycle. It has kind of slid down towards the trough of disillusionment on the Gartner hype cycle. I would say it is in the pit of disillusionment. I think there's a princess bride metaphor there somewhere, the pit of disillusionment. Um. I would say that that's exactly where it is now. And, 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 and next year, it probably won't even be on the hype cycle. I'd be willing to bet. 
that's my 2024 prediction for the data mesh. It won't even be on, um, won't even be on the hype cycle. And by the way, by the way, uh, two years ago when it was on the peak of the hype cycle, Gartner had it labeled as obsolete before plateau. So there was an X through it. Oh my gosh. The pearls were being clutched. <gasps> what do you mean it's obsolete? What do you mean the data mesh is obsolete? Well, what, what the X meant is that it, it, it will die before it meets, reaches mainstream. And that's exactly what's happening. So vindication to Gartner and the creation of the, uh, of the, of the hype cycle. Um, there's a lot of good reasons why the data mesh has completely and totally fallen off the radar. Uh, the biggest reason why is it's because it's really, really hard. It's, it's complex. To do a full mesh, full mesh, a real mesh, at least insofar as a mesh would be defined by Zamak Dagati, the author of Data Mesh, you need to do a few things that are really, really hard and that most people don't know how to do. The biggest one being something called federated computational governance, which is in essence automated data governance. How many of you have automated your data governance? How many of you even have people who are showing up to governance committee meetings on a recurring basis? Exactly, right? So the idea that we could completely and totally automate governance, whoo, okay. Another is you would need some sort of unified platform for managing and distributing data products across your organization that would be helpful in, in helping enable some of that automated governance as well. How many people have that? Well, some people have some data catalogs, but uh, do they have a full data marketplace, right? Have they enabled that? Well, no, again, uh, that's hard. Data contracts. How about that? You got those? Those widely used within the organization? No, 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 probably not. No, maybe here or there in a few kind of machine to machine communications where you've implemented some form of a contract um, via an API where data is being shared, perhaps externally or maybe even externally, maybe onesie twosie, but on a widespread basis, basis, no, no, don't have that. Uh, do you have, you know, product ownership on a widespread basis? Well, no, but we've hired a data product owner. Okay. That's it. Done. We have our mesh. And that's really what ended up happening. Oh, and by the way, along with all of those things, uh, you would have to dispense of, of what would call what Zamak would call anti-patterns, which includes any centralized pattern of managing data, including MDM and your data lake and data warehouse. Those are anti-patterns to the data mesh. And if you disagree with me, read the book because I've read it three times. I had to read it three times to understand what was being said. Maybe I'm just not that smart. Entirely possible. Uh, but dispensing of anti-patterns, right? So if you want to talk about a full mesh, you got to go peer to peer completely. Like we're talking full spider web here, people, right? Spaghetti bowl, right? Where it is like sharing, peer-to-peer -peer sharing or domain to, to domain, more arguably, correct? Domain to domain sharing where the infrastructure, the governance, the operating framework to enable cross domain sharing just doesn't exist. Well, it exists, but it exists in this really conceptual theoretical model that nobody's ever implemented before. So you throw all those things together, all of the first four that I mentioned, hard, 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 what you're left with is data products, which leads me to topic number six. The bell of the ball of the industry conferences this year that wasn't AI was data products. And I think the data products are really kind of what's left over from the implosion of the mesh. The data mesh was kind of like the situation where 
a whole bunch of things were loaded onto the back of a flatbed truck. And then somebody hit the gas really hard. And then 10 miles later, the only thing that was left in the back of the truck was data products. Aha, here's our mesh. And really it wasn't even data products, but it was as data product ownership, which I would argue is, is, is from the mesh perspective, falls woefully short of what real product, the value that real product management could deliver in the data and analytics space. But what a lot of companies were left over with was, aha, you know, data products is the only thing I can kind of get my hands around. I like the idea of assigning ownership from a governance perspective, ownership of governance policies and procedures and the enforcement of data governance policies. I like the idea of enforcing that at a domain level. My customers in sales and marketing have been complaining about a lack of control of their own data. So I'll assign a data product owner. You can go figure out the governance within sales and marketing. Knock yourself out. Aha, here's our data mesh. That's really what happened. And I think that the craze this year around data products is a leftover from that. And as much as it pains me to say this, um, because I really, really, really do believe that product management, when applied to data management, can have transformative impacts. I think there's so much goodness here. The list is long. I've done a podcast on this already earlier this year. Check it out. Um, I really think there's going to be some goodness there. But frankly, there's just not enough juice in the squeeze to keep data products on people's minds because I think in 2024, it'll just, it'll, it'll be the last thing that falls off the data mesh truck, but it'll fall off because most people aren't doing it, what I would say, the right way. All they've done is made somebody in who is in an early to mid career position, they've made them the owner, quote, quote, of data, particularly shared data um, that can never ever truly be owned by a single person. Untenable position. So that'll be my, that's a prediction for 2024. We'll talk about that in a couple episodes, but data products will, will, will go away and as much as it pains me to say that because I wish they didn't. Uh, that's data products. That was number six. Um, I will be talking about that in, uh, at a number of different conferences this year in 2024. The, the, the title of my presentation is Hooray Data Products. What's a data product? That's the reason why it'll probably go away next year, which doesn't bode well for people coming to my presentation, uh, but we'll see how it goes. Maybe I'm wrong. Won't be the first time. Ask my wife. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people out there talking about data products that, that really just have no idea what a data product is. And, and frankly, I just posted something on LinkedIn about this. I really don't care. There's just so much just, just hand wringing around. How do we define a product? A product is... Something a data product is something created by a data team that solves a specific business problem that business stakeholders would otherwise be willing to pay for, that customers would be otherwise willing to pay for. That's all it is. There doesn't have to be this elegant um, hierarchical um, definition of products that works going up or going down. You don't have to define the lowest atomic level of a data product for it to make sense. You can just say it's something that solves a problem that people would otherwise be willing to pay for. That's enough. We don't need it to be this great wonder ontology that, that, uh, that, that can be traversed forwards and backwards. It doesn't have to work that way. Uh, products can be things that are more loosely defined and more loosely classified. Yes, there are product families. Yes, there are hierarchies and products. Uh, but the fact that a raw material can be both a raw material and a product shouldn't be confounding to data people, but it is. What else 2023? Well, 
when I was at all those events, see my bling before, um, I was talking about a lot of new people in the field, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But that means that there is still a real thirst and a real desire for what I would otherwise call best practices around data and analytics and data management foundations. And as much as I'm prone as the next person, because I, I love talking about some of the higher level stuff, as much as I'm prone to that, um, there is a desire to continue to focus on best practices. Now that said, that said, I think some of the old ways of doing things are really, really broken. The idea that we can say some that data can be owned by one person is a classic example of how broken things can be. That is that that idea of data ownership being a necessary dependency for data governance or data management success. The idea that that is a widely held belief is indicative of some of the problems we've got in the space. It's not working. Data ownership is not working and it never was able to work for any data that is shared outside of one system. If your data lives in one system and it just never goes outside of your CRM, it's never used by anybody outside of sales and marketing, sure, give it an owner in sales and marketing, fine, right? If it's one of the 200 fields in your customer record in Salesforce that nobody cares about other than the CMO, go ahead, knock yourself out. You can give that, per one person can own that data. But the minute that data starts to go somewhere else, the minute it needs to go in into an ERP or into some into a GL, wherever, uh, the idea that one person can own data is a recipe for success because the only person, just keep going up uh, the org chart, the only person who would really ultimately own that data is the CEO. And how's that governance committee meeting going to look when there's only one person sitting there and it's the CEO? Well, it's not going to happen because they got better things to do. So that's, you know, the idea of data ownership. And the list here is just so long. There's a thirst for, for best practices. We need to figure out some things that have been holding us back for years and years and years. This is number eight for me. And number, tw number eight in 2023, I'm just gonna loosely call modern data leadership. We need new ways of thinking in the data and analytics space. We've been trying the same things for 20 years, this round peg and ramming it into a square hole. I, I, I like to pick on data ownership because it's a layup. It's a layup, but I could keep going. I could keep going about how we approach things, about the words that we use, about the mindsets that we have in the data analytics team. The idea that data quality issues are a burden and not an opportunity. That's an example of a mindset that just does not service. The idea that Data can be structured one way in a CRM and data can be structured a different way in an ERP, that that is a data quality problem to me is a total disservice. It is not actually accurate. You can say that that represents a data quality problem, that those records could be completely and totally accurate. They just happen to be structured a different way because those applications were built a different way. The applications were built a different way because they had different users and different use cases and different processes, meaning they were built by design. So the idea that we as data leaders would say, oh, well, that, that's garbage in, when it might not actually be garbage in, when it may actually be data that was structured that way by design to serve a specific use case to help our customers accelerate their business processes. That's, that's an example of a mindset. Calling that data garbage is an example of a mindset I think we need to change. It's not helping us. 
it's not helping us because frankly, people are tired about hearing us complain about data quality, particularly companies that are successful. See my first point. A lot of companies are this year and a lot of companies had great years in 2023. So, you know, we need a, a different way of thinking about data. We need a different way of thinking about data quality. We need a different way of thinking about data management. We need to be more flexible, more adaptable. We need to think about truth differently, right? The fact is truth is contextually bound just is, always has been. We've always known this, yet we continue to cling to the idea of a single version of the truth. At a CEO level, that's a context. The CEO, CFO, that's a business context, and it's a valid business context. What's true to that context may not necessarily be true to an operating level. And we need to recognize both. And to say that one is true and one is not true, again, that's an example of a mindset really not serving us. So 2023, I think, will be remembered by many, including me, is the year when we started to look at things a little differently. And we started to challenge legacy approaches to how we think about data, how we think about leading a data function, how we think about culture. We like to talk a lot. I had to check out my episode from last week. If you want to hear more about data culture, I talked for an hour about how we need to think differently about culture. So I won't go into detail here. But we use, sadly, culture issues as an excuse to explain why our data teams are not delivering value. And that we just need to stop. We just need to stop. Because chances are it's probably not the culture. Probably isn't. Check out last week's episode, More on Culture. We need to be thinking more about new ways of managing data and analytics functions. We need to think about new ways of serving our customers. This includes product management includes a lot of different things. It includes the structure of the team. It includes all sorts of things that I'm so excited to be talking about in 2024 because there's tons of opportunities here, folks. Tons. Um, a few other things, kind of like I'll get into a little bit of a lightning round. <laughs> um, data modeling, dead or not. Boy, there's a lot of people who care about data modeling. It seems like this, 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 Data modeling, machines can do it. Are you crazy? Machines can never do this. This is pure art. Um, I, I fall on the machine side. I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one to the machines. Sorry. Like the the idea that human beings could be faster, more scalable, more accurate in the long run than machines. I mean, please. Um, doesn't mean there can't be human oversight, and it doesn't mean that this is happening today. I think that humans can can deliver some pretty good results today, but in the long run, um, I, I I cannot I cannot envision a world where data modeling is not being mostly automated. Put your comments below. There are some uh, there are some people out there that are just vehement data modelers that just like scoff at the idea that this could be something that machines do. I think that's largely a reaction um, to potential job loss. Just just is what it is. If you do data modeling for a living, of course, you're going to say the machines can never do it. Uh, so data modeling, dead or not, uh, it's not dead. It's critically important. It is literally the frame of the wing of the flying plane. So don't get me wrong. I'm all about data modeling. I just don't think that humans can do it as well as machines can. Semantic layers. A lot of people talking about semantic layers. This kind of falls in the pro data product bucket. Yay, semantic layer. What's a semantic layer? Sounds great. How do I actually do it? 
Uh, I really envision, or I would like to see a future where semantic layers and MDMs come together. Because MDM software, it, it's a semantic layer, okay? It, it, it allows common definitions to be created and maintained, right? In fairly complex ways, right? Same is true with semantic layers, although they do it at a scheme at a schema level and not an object and field level. I'd love to see those things kind of come together in the future. So maybe we need to get semantic layers and MDM on a first date, see if any magic happens. Uh, data fabrics. I'm a believer. See any previous podcasts related to data fabric demystified. It's one of my top performing podcasts for good reason. I share a lot of great insights on data fabrics. See my conversation happening tomorrow um, that will be released the first week of January 2024 with the CDO of Microsoft talking a little bit more about data fabrics. I'm a believer. Not because my, my company is a partner with Microsoft, which we are. Uh, so I guess that's the, the disclaimer part here. Um, and I actually am a shareholder of Microsoft. Okay, so I'm a shareholder of Microsoft. But data fabrics are a concept that, that pre-existed anything that Microsoft was doing. Microsoft just happened to release something in, in, in a product this year called a data fabric. And I would, I, would, I would argue it's a V1 of a data fabric. When I talk about data fabrics, I talk about like the, the future state, the big thing. And I'm a total believer. And I was at Gartner. And I was a, more of a contrarian at Gartner, but I saw the problem. I think we're going to hear more and more and more about data fabrics in 2024. Uh, other things, blockchain just evaporated, just went away. Uh, some people went to jail. Some people fled to <laughs> other jurisdictions. Um, and the crypto markets completely and totally crashed, aka crypto winter. Uh, yes, blockchain, blockchain and crypto are, are one is an enabling technology and another is a, is a use case on, on blockchain. Crypto is a use case on blockchain, FYI. Um, but yeah, it, it largely went away. But sneak peek, 2024, get ready for it again. I think we're going to see ETFs, uh, spot ETFs, exchange traded funds released uh, and approved by the SEC uh, early in 2024. And that will cause an explosion in crypto prices, which will cause a reinvigoration around the whole idea of blockchain, which I actually think holds a lot of promise. Frankly, I think, the, I think blockchain is an, a necessary, if you really see the benefit of data mesh, like if you actually see the benefit of peer-to-peer data governance and data sharing, data exchanges, uh, widespread data ecosystem, data sharing internally, externally. If you see those things as valuable, which I do, uh, I think blockchain necessarily has to play a role there. Maybe I'll talk about that in a podcast coming up, but I'm a believer in blockchain, absolutely positively, because I do think that it is a wonderful, wonderful solution for the problem of how do we enable peer-to-peer -peer sharing at scale. We've always tried. We've always wanted to, right? I think data marketplaces, in, in to a certain degree, are a reaction to sharing, but it's old school. It's Web 2.0 stuff, meaning centralized, centralized infrastructures to do widespread sharing. That in and of itself is a little bit of a oxymoron, is it not? Centralization to share, uh, but I mean that's kind of how things have historically been. Right? We centralize things, put things into one bucket, and then everybody can go draw from the bucket. Well, if you believe that there's a better way, I believe there's a better way. I think peer-to-peer. -peer, Napster proved it. Good grief, Napster. Yeah, that's how old I am. Uh, Napster proved that peer-to-peer -peer can be done and can be valuable uh, and can be done at scale. And I think that need, whether it is 
sending currencies worldwide, whether it is speeding up the international financial systems, the the, the monetary systems, the what I mean, the, the list of these cases here is long. Good grief. Um I think I think blockchain, we just can't ignore it. And we won't ignore it in 2024. It'll come raging back. Other kind of runner-ups. Uh, it really kind of that's it. I mean, I, I still I still see people struggling with how to value data. And I'm still getting pushback. I, I'll, I'll post things on LinkedIn about, hey, data leaders, we really need to figure out how to value data. And I'm still getting the pushback about, well, it's an intangible and it's really hard and we can't do that. And it's it's not an asset according to the CFO. And we can't, 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 can't. That's part of the old mindset. That's part of the old mindset. The I can't value data and I don't need to value data and I don't want to value data. Old mindset stuff. If our sole purpose is to deliver value and we don't measure it, what does that say? Well, it says it's it says it says a lot of different things. One, it says I, I, I would I would argue it doesn't bode well for a long-term tenure, right? If the very thing that you exist to do is not being measured. Uh, that's a problem. I mean, I've got measurements as part of what I deliver day in and day out for my job. Most everybody else does. Uh, so if you don't if you can't measure it, right? If you can't value it, and your sole purpose is to deliver value, uh, I see that as a problem. And I think that there is a better way. And I think we can value data. That is most certainly something I'm going to be talking about in 2024. So let's wrap up. I think 2023 for a lot of people was a difficult year. I think 2023 for more people thankfully, was a pretty good year. I know for me it was, just for me, uh, to the degree that anyone cares. I had a pretty good year in 2023. We got a couple of new uh, new fur babies in the house, a couple of little new dogs that we uh, we picked up at our local Brevard County dog pound. Um, they're just awesome. They, they enrich our lives. We, we, we love them to death. They're fantastic. We're dog people. Love those two. Uh, my job is amazing. My company is amazing. Doing this is just so wonderful and it's so amazing. Um, interacting with people, meeting people, talking with people. Um, it's just it's 2023. I, I will remember it very, very fondly. And frankly, without sounding overly glib, a big reason why I will remember it fondly is because of you. Uh, maybe you're listening to the podcast. Maybe you're giving me a comment on LinkedIn. Maybe you're coming to hear me speak at a conference. Maybe you're coming up to my booth at a conference and having a conversation. Maybe you're sending me an email. Maybe you actually read my monthly newsletter, the CDO Matters Roundup. Um, and maybe you provide comments to it. It keeps me going. It, it, it keeps me going. I'm, my sole purpose here is to help chief data officers extend their tenure, to make data and analytics leaders more successful in what they do. And I'm only able to do that because of what you provide me and the trust that you give me. So uh, I don't take that lightly. Thank you. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. I will look forward to seeing everybody very soon in 2024. Until then, bye for now.